Well, good morning, church. This is the day the Lord's made. We get to be glad and to rejoice in it. And I want to bring greetings to those listening and watching in Battle Lake this morning. Um, we here in Fergus had a, a great celebration here last Sunday. I saw pictures of what went on out there in Battle Lake, and it looks like it was a great morning there for you as well. Um, this morning we are moving ahead with this theme of this changes everything, how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not something of little significance, but it's, it just changes everything. It's a game changer for us in this world and in this life. And we're going to be moved forward through the, first, uh, the chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, where we meet with God through his word, and he speaks to us about the significance of the resurrection and how that changes things for us. So I'm actually going to have a start by looking at our text this morning. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. So go ahead and reach for a Bible, um, one provided for you, one that you may have brought. And I invite you, let's stand here. Battle Lake, let's stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll read the first 11 verses. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. As to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God. I am what I am. And this grace to me. Was not without effect. No, I I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was for I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So, Lord, help us to believe again the amazing good news that we celebrated last week, that we live with the after effects of today that you've risen from the dead, that you took our sins and went to a tomb and buried them there and rose again. And we are free. And we have hope. And we rejoice. So help us to believe this word again spoken over us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. This changes everything. Um, it, you'd have to be, you know, 
like hiding in a cave yourself to not realize things are changing outside. What a weekend we've had. Really windy, really windy, but beautiful. Yesterday, what a great day. And uh, it's starting to feel, I'm already going there. I'm already going to summer. You know, spring's still here a little longer, but I'm already going there in my head. And I know others are going there too. In my mind, I'm starting to picture pretty soon my neighbors, your neighbors, they're going to get the Walmart or Fleet Farm pool they got and break it out, set it up in the backyard for the kids, right? The dock's going into the lake. If it hasn't already gone into the lake, it's going to happen. And and what's going to happen, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it, is somebody, you know, when things, it's going to get summer, it's going to be hot, and somebody's going to look out uh, on the, the water, whether it's the pool or the lake, and it's going to be cool and calm and inviting. And here's what's going to happen, because especially if it's this no windy, not a windy day, it's, it's like glass, right? I love that when the lake is just like glass early in the morning, right? Or the pool is like glass. And the first one out is going to come, and this is, they look at that calm water, and this is what they're thinking. I don't care how old they are. They're thinking, cannonball, right? Woohoo! In fact, I found this picture. I just, you got to be careful what you Google. You know, I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Look at this. There's actually competitions for cannonballs. You know that? Yeah. This guy was in there. He looked like a winner to me. What do you think? He looks like a winner to me. But here's the thing. Somebody's going to do that. Somebody's going somebody's to cannonball into that water because when it's, when it's perfectly calm, you just got to do it. You're just thinking, I got I to gotta make some waves here. Big, big splash. And, and what happens when somebody cannonballs into the middle of the water? Waves go out everywhere, right? Kind of a, a ripple effect heading out from, from that spot. So that what happens, what happens here doesn't just affect this spot, but it happens out there as well. This is what we see with a cannonball, that what happens here and now changes there and then. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, something big happened. 2,000 years ago, there was a cannonball in history so big that it has affected the last 2,000 years, and we are living today with the effects of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection for us. Here at Bethel, we are looking at the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and we are seeing how that changes everything for us. Not just there and then, but here and now. There's a change. Uh, we celebrated last week, and uh, I got up and said, He is risen, and you all said, He is risen indeed. And we celebrated the fact that Christ rose from the dead, and now we're asking, What effect does this have on my life today? What effect does that have on my life today? How does this change things for me today? We're looking at that. We're looking at this uh, chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I think it's one of those chapters we should probably come back to every few years because it's just loaded with, it's dense with a powerful message for us. Uh, In this sermon series, we're going to look at this chapter, and this is a chapter that J.B. Phillips, J.B. Phillips, a, a biblical scholar and translator, called the most important chapter in the Bible. 
That's something. I mean, if you were to pick one chapter out of the whole, the whole Bible, one chapter, which one would you pick? J.B. Phillips, scholar and translator, says 1 Corinthians 15. Boom. That's it. That is the most important chapter in the whole Bible. So we're going to, you know, we talk, I think I have, what do we have, 26 sermons on Romans? We're doing six or seven here on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right? A whole book, 16 chapters, 25, 26 weeks. We're, we're doing six weeks, seven weeks here on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why? Because it's a big deal. Because the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, as we'll see, changes everything for us. In this chapter, Paul explains how the resurrection of Jesus changes everything for him. For him. Uh, notice verse 10 of the text. In fact, let's put it up on the screen. Let's say this verse, this, this verse out loud together. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Kind of love that double negative. You're kind of figuring out what this means, right? In other words, it changed me. It didn't leave me unaffected. It affected me. Paul says the essence of the gospel, the grace that I've preached, has changed me. I didn't just bring this news so that it would change you. This stuff changed me first. And my hope is that this message will also change us. That the, the message of Christ's resurrection, that your testimony and mine would be what Paul's is. By the grace of God, I am what I am, but this grace to me was not without effect. Grace changes everything. Grace changed Paul. Grace will change you. But Paul is quick to say in this chapter that, that it changes things for you personally only if you hold firmly to the message of a crucified, risen, and Savior. Uh, verse 2 of this text says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you believed in vain. I love this, this cat, this cub here up on the, on the screen, right? Hold on, baby. Hold on. It's going to save you, but it's a message you've got to hang on to for dear life. Uh, it's, it's really interesting to know Paul's emphasis here is, the idea is that it's starting out strong is good, but it's kind of how you finish. Starting out strong is good, but it's really about how you finish. Kind of like in a race, you know? Starting out quick, that's good. Get, get to the head of the pack, but where do, you, where do you land in the end? Where are you at in the end? In one sense, faith, Paul is saying, is a long-distance run. It's an endurance thing. And Paul is telling the church... It'll change you. But here's the deal, church. This message I'm giving you of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you've got to hold on to that. You've got to hold on to that. You can't let this go. You can't let this go. And so to establish again the truth of the resurrection, Paul begins to explain how, one, the resurrection was foretold, and secondly, how the resurrection was fulfilled. He's talking about its, its being foretold in the Old Testament and being fulfilled here in the New Testament, Paul is basically giving newborn Christians a solid foundation for the truth of this amazing claim that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And by the way, when you make a claim like that, you kind of need something to back it up, right? Because just as much today 
or back then as it would be today, if somebody walks around claiming somebody rose from the dead, I mean, that can sound a bit like crazy talk. I mean, that can sound a little bit like this person's not, you know, they're not all there. They're not all with us. I mean, somehow we, I think, sometimes I think we read the Bible like, okay, that would have been just sort of normal back then. Like we read backwards going, okay, that's the sort of thing happened, right? Or whatever. These amazing things, normal. No! Somebody rising from the dead? Are you kidding me? They didn't, they didn't just believe that without some sort of justification for it. Here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus' death and resurrection, what a lot of people who are not Christians do is regard these kinds of religious claims like they would the report of a UFO somewhere over Kansas. Kind of like, oh, I'm not sure what to do about that. You know, somebody says, I just, there's this UFO sighting over Kansas. What do you do with that? The typical person kind of goes, I don't know. It seems like that's sort of an out there claim. And the person making it's probably a little bit out there too. Just a little bit. Woohoo. Out there. Right? That's kind of what we think. But if we're able to get past that, even if you're able to get past that, where probably most people go is, well, maybe it happened or maybe it didn't happen. Who's to say? And in the end, who cares? What difference does it make? What difference does it make, really? You know? And that's kind of where we go with that. And I think people, almost non-believers, almost relate to the, the, the claim of the resurrection like that. Jesus rose from the dead. Well, you know, maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. Who's to say? And in the end, what difference does it make? Can I just say here this morning, Jesus' resurrection from the dead is not anything like a UFO sighting over Kansas. Okay? Because it is an astonishing claim. And if it's true... Well, that changes everything. It's not just a claim that this happened once. It's a claim that, it, that makes it true that because Jesus has risen from the dead, there's going to be a whole group of others who are going to die and rise again. There's a whole group of others for whom death is no longer the end. This is an amazing claim. This is, this is not some sort of historical curiosity or wonder without explanation. It is God's way of doing a cannonball in history it's god's way of doing a cannonball in history that affects everything not just then and there but here and now the waves of what god did we're feeling that today now for paul the death and resurrection of jesus christ was christianity 101 the basics kind of like Kind of like the first day of school, you know, learning the letters, learning some basic things. This is Christianity 101. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. This is really basic Christian faith. Uh, in fact, uh, if you were to show up for class in Christianity 101, this is probably what you'd be taught. Verse 3 and 4. Verse 3 and 4. Here's what it says. For what I received, I passed on to you. As of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In fact, some scholars call these two verses the first Christian creed. 
Some scholars refer to this as the first Christian creed. Like these were the first words that the Christians learned to say. This is it right here, verse 3 and verse 4. Kind of like the first words that kids, babies, learn to say, right? These are words of first importance. And it's interesting, you know, what are the, what are the first words that newborns say? What are they? They're very basic and the most important things in their life. You know, they're not coming up with words like epistemology, you know, right out of the chute. They're not saying those words. They're anthropocentric. That's not your baby's first word. What was your baby's first word? I, I, Michelle and I looked back. I said, well, we're going to look back and see in the kids' books. What, what were their first words? For my daughter, her first word, ball, right? So appropriate. She's pretty good with a ball. For my son, his first word, mama. Mama. I resent that, actually. I actually looked up what are the most common first words of babies. Here's the top ten. Dada, mama, hi. Number four, bubba. Well, baba or bubba. I'm thinking bubba? Really? Baba, bottle, right? Dog. Number six, ball. Number seven, no. We learned that one quick. Uh, cat, nana, and number 10, duck. Okay? Those are the words that kids learn. Those are typical Americans, kids, those are the first words. So maybe my kids fit into that. My kids fit into that. They're not saying these big words. Nobody's coming out saying otorhinolaryngology or something like that. Something, you know, it's, it's, it's the important stuff to them. It's words of first importance to them. Really important stuff to them. All these things are very important to these children right from the start. And that's the deal. What are the first words the Christian learns? Sin. Cross. Resurrection. Sin, cross, empty tomb. This is what Paul's got in verse 3 and 4. This is what it's about. He died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried, raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul goes on to say that this creed, these Baby Christian words that are of first importance are words that you need to hold on to. By this gospel, he says, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Here's a question we need to ask, okay? Important one. Where did Paul get this message? Was Paul there? At the resurrection? Was he there at the cross? I don't really have any evidence that he was there. No record that Paul was there that day. He was not among the eyewitnesses of all of this, right? So where does he get his information? How do we trust it? Uh, Paul tells us, verse 3, For what I received, I passed on to you. What I received, I passed on to you. As of first importance. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm just, I'm just giving you the news. I'm just passing on to you what was given to me. This is Paul's way of saying, you know what I am? I'm a mailman. That's all I am. I don't make up the mail. I don't write the mail. I just, I just give it. Here you go. By the way, that's what preachers are called to do too. Give the mail. We've, this is what we've been given to say, the preacher's job is just to bring it, just give this to people, you know? Give them that. Don't make up new stuff. You don't need to come up with new stuff, 
There's plenty right here. Paul's like that. Paul's like, I'm not making this up. I didn't come up with this idea. It's a great one. Jesus died, takes the sin of the world on himself, rises again. Great story. I didn't make it up. I didn't do that. I'm just giving you what was given to me. In fact, um, the pairing of these words in verse 3, what I received, I passed on. What I received, I passed on. What I received, I delivered. This is actually sort of technical language for the passing on of rabbinic tradition. So if you, if you were to anchor this in cultural times, you know, there were rabbis and there were disciples. And sometimes we forget the disciples were not just, there were lots of disciples running around in Jesus' day, right? Just like there were lots of rabbis. Jesus was called a rabbi. But there were other rabbis. There were lots of disciples. There were lots of people like this running around. Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. And he had his disciples. And so what we see here is Paul saying, like, like in good rabbinic tradition, I'm just passing on to you what was given to me. And I'm in, a, I'm in a line of rabbinic tradition. I'm passing this on. Paul's not making it up. He's basically giving to the Christians the message given to him, a message that was affirmed, a message that was confirmed by at least two sources. One, eyewitnesses. People who were there. People who did see Jesus. The eyewitnesses of his death and resurrection. You know that Paul met with the Christians in Jerusalem who told him directly what they had seen. And Paul reports this, verse 5 and 6. He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. It's like, I'm just telling you what I've I've heard from these guys who were there, eyewitnesses of what happened. Very interesting language here. Um, He says, these these brothers, he saw 500 at one time, most of whom are still living. Some have fallen asleep. Isn't that a curious thing to say? Why, why do you think he might have said that? Why, why do you think about it? Why do you think he might have said, you know, some of these guys, who saw them, they're still alive. They're still kicking. They're still meeting for coffee down at the cafe. Why, why is he saying that? He's saying, you don't believe me? You can go check it out. Go talk to them. They're still around. They're still telling the story. You can, you can verify it. You don't just have to take my word for it. We'll talk to these guys. The word is out. These guys are alive. Some, he says, and this is another curious Christian thing here. Some of them have fallen asleep. What's the deal with that? Fallen asleep. What a uniquely Christian thing to say. It's like, well, wait, they're dead. Well, yeah, right? I mean, their, their bodies have died, but they're just sleeping. Isn't that cool? Only because Jesus rose from the dead can anybody say, yeah, you know what? I mean... Look at him there. He's just sleeping. There's more to come. This is not the end for him. That's such a unique Christian point of view. Because of the resurrection, and in the context of talking about the resurrection, Paul uses this language. They're sleeping. Some have fallen asleep. Some are still alive and kicking. You don't believe me? You can go check it out. He had eyewitnesses. This was not the telephone game. You know? Like, we started over here. And then over here, you know, all these people later, 
You're hearing something else comes out on the different end. Like, what? That is not what was, this is not that. Paul's like, I'm going straight, you know, I heard it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I heard it directly. This is the message. So Paul heard it directly, straight from them. But not only that, he heard it from eyewitnesses, but then he also heard it from Jesus himself. Kind of like, oh yeah. Oh, there's also Jesus himself that told me. Right? Because so I talked to the guys, you know, but I talked to the guy. He says, Paul, Paul was then known as Saul. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest some Christians. When? We read this in Acts 9, verse 3 and following. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I'm thinking, kind of lump in his throat at that point. Gulp. He's going around hating Christians and persecuting the church. And the Jesus, the Christ of Christianity, shows up and talks to him. You're persecuting me. This is what you're doing. He's alive. These Christians going around saying this stuff is really true. And after that, he then got these eyewitness accounts from the people in Jerusalem. And this changed everything for Paul. Changed everything for him. Which leads us back to where we started. With the fact that the news of Christ's death and resurrection is a life-shaping, game-changing cannonball in history. When the gospel got a hold of Paul, it had such an effect on him that things just could not be the same for him anymore. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Grace sent his life in a different direction. He went from Christianity's number one antagonist to its greatest evangelist. How do do you explain that? How do you explain that but by the fact that Jesus is alive and grace changed him? Grace changed his direction. Grace gave him purpose and hope. He said in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is all about Christ. This is what my life's about now. To die is gain. Bonus. Bonus. Changed his direction. It gave him purpose and hope. Life, grace changed his view of himself. He went from Pharisaic elitism You know what I mean by that? He really did think he was something special, better than everybody else. Up here. Up here. Everybody else down here. Thinking he was better than everyone to saying things like in verse 9 of our text, I'm the least of the apostles. I don't don't even deserve to be called one of them. What, What changed that? Jesus. Grace. Where he saw his sin and then he saw his Savior. See, Jesus' death and resurrection is like a cannonball in Paul's life. Things were going smoothly, all according to plan, and then splash. Jesus rises from the dead, and the waves of that go out into history, changing people after person after person after person throughout history. What about you? Why not you? Why not let the grace of God Let the wave of what God did, that cannonball in history, come and change things for you. 
Here's how this makes a difference for you and me today. Here's how I see it. Paul is proof that nobody but nobody is out of the reach of God's amazing grace. Nobody is outside the reach of God's amazing grace. Paul probably figured that he was going to be about the last person on the face of the earth who deserved ever to see Jesus Christ. I mean, with his history... But Paul, the persecutor and murderer of Christians, the hater of Jesus himself, is the one that God came to rescue and to save. Proof that no one is out of the reach of God's amazing grace. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly comforting. Resurrection opens up a way for you and me to live forever, and God's pursuit and love and rescue of this least deserving one opens up a real hope and possibility for you and for me. If God could love this guy and run him down on the road to Damascus and meet up with him and say, listen, buddy, here's who I am, and love him and turn him from his ways, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. And I think it's why Paul could say, and we may be able to say as well, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for your victory over death. Thank you for delivering that victory to us. Thank you for defeating the grave and making it possible for us to live victorious as well. Thank you for catching up with guys like Saul and making them into Pauls. Thank you for catching up with people like us sending us in a new direction, sending our life on a new trajectory, giving us new purpose and meaning and a fresh vision of who we are in light of the cross. Lord Jesus, we feel like just babies today needing to learn to speak again, this basic foundational truth that we need to clutch and hang on to with all our life that we may be saved. The cross, the tomb, the empty tomb. Teach us these words. Affirm them in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.